coming up on Philosophy Talk. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Money and morality. On the one hand, subprime lending is considered an abhorrent practice where you're taking advantage of poor people. In another case, subprime lending, also called microfinance, won somebody a Nobel Prize. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. The idea that you get to loan money for interest, I don't think is inherently immoral thing. Don't corporations have special moral responsibilities? Yeah, it's all about values. Our guest is Neil Malhotra from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Changing the incentives via regulation are what you can do, not just tell people to do the right thing, because people are always going to convince themselves they're doing the right thing. Is money the root of anything good? Money and morality, coming up on Philosophy Talk. After the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today, Philosophy Talk is on the road. We're recording the program in front of a live audience at the classic residence by Hyatt in Palo Alto, California. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on a lovely Stanford campus. Today's program is made possible in part with support from the Stanford Humanities Center. We're very pleased to meet some of our listeners here at the Hyatt Residence, up close and personal. Folks, welcome to Philosophy Talk. Our topic today, money and morality. John, I know they say that money is the root of all evil, but what do money and morality really have to do with each other? I mean, philosophically speaking. Where have you been lately, Ken, in a philosophical cocoon? What, what, what do you mean by that remark, John? Well, take a look around you. All hell has broken loose. We've lost our moral compass. We've succumbed to the excesses of an anything-goes capitalism. An anything-goes capitalism, huh? You mean... Like... Puts, puts the almighty dollar ahead of everything else, including morality, and now we're suffering the consequences. I take it you're suggesting that the recent financial meltdown was due to in part, and maybe in large part, to immoral behavior rather than to just colossally bad business decisions? I mean, even though uh, that sounds nice to a philosopher's ears, because that would give a, you know, us philosophers something to talk about, I'm not sure I agree with you. I think it was bad business decisions, mostly. Yeah, but that is what I'm suggesting, Ken. I mean, don't get me wrong, it took a lot of bad business decisions to get us into this mess, but I also think that a lot went out of whack morally, too. And that kind of behavior has been going on here in America for a long well, time. Uh, tell me, I mean, what do you have in mind? What do you, what do you mean? Well, start with the whole notion of a corporation. I think that's a root of a lot of the problem. A corporation is supposed to be a person. They're treated like a person. They can go bankrupt and get out of their debts, but they're really not people. They're a strange sort of halfway people. They're really devices to insulate people from the actual effects of their own decisions. Well, I mean, I guess if you think about it that way, I mean, metaphysically, certainly corporations are, are strange. I mean, I'm kind of a Lockean about, about personhood, and, and here's what Locke said about persons. A person is a thinking, intelligent being that has reason and reflection 
and can consider itself as itself, the same thinking thing in different times and different places. That's a lot to unpack, but I don't think any of it applies to corporations, so it's metaphysically bizarre to call corporations persons. Well, it's metaphysically bizarre, but I think the, the real problem is, is, is the moral problem, the problem of responsibility. I mean, Donald Trump sets up a corporation, uh, a lot of people put down payments on, on homes, then it goes bankrupt, he doesn't lose, well, he loses whatever money he put in the corporation. He goes off scot-free, happens to him about once a month. Nobody pays the moral bill. Where is it? Who are corporations really responsible to? Well, under the law, a corporation has a fiduciary responsibility only to its shareholders. That answers your question right there, doesn't it? Well, what kind of person is that that just has responsibility to its shareholders? I mean, what does that even mean? What about all the other people in the world that this, quote, person interacts with? The consumers, the taxpayers, the disinterested third parties whose environment could be ruined or whose economy could be run into the ground by these corporations. Shouldn't they be responsible to the whole community? Well, I guess what you're saying is that if a corporation really is a person, then we should treat it like a person, like, like a real person. I mean, we, we should treat, we treat real persons like full moral agents. They have, to, they have to own up to the consequences of all their acts. But, you know, we, we don't really do that to corporations. We, in certain domains, we kind of let them off the hook. Well, we definitely let them off, off the hook and let the people that, that run them off the hook. I mean, imagine a person moved next door to you and, and, and dumped a lot of chemicals in the air you breathed and the water you drank, uh, did things that caused your job and your whole way of life to be lost, took all your retirement savings away and in the process got fabulously wealthy himself. How would you feel about such a neighbor? Well, not, not too good, I have to admit. Uh, but in the name of the almighty dollar, corporations do that sort of thing to us all the time, and we entitle them to. Well, that's because we think, of, we think the discipline of the free market will somehow reign corporations as, you know, Adam Smith's invisible hand and all that. And, and we think that by pursuing profit and shareholder value in an open, competitive market, that eventually everybody everybody will, will, will benefit. Don't you think that's right? No, it's a fairy tale. It's ideology. It's a little bit of empirical insight mixed into some kind of quasi-religious bunch of bunkum. It's a flawed theory. Okay. I reject it. It's okay. no good. Okay, John, so get off your high horse and tell me how you think we can make act, well, corporations act more like full moral agents, while at the same time, at the same time, having them serve as the main drivers of economic prosperity. How are you going to do that? Uh, Suggesting solutions is above my pay grade. <laughs> but we're going to be joined by someone who can do a much better job than I could. That's Neil Mahotra. He teaches business ethics here at Stanford University, and he's going to join us in a little bit. And we hope to be joined by this wonderful audience here at the Classic Residence by Hyatt. We'll ask them for their comments and questions as part of the discussion as well. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Rena Palta, meets a man who deals with money and morality every day. She files this report. The film classic It's a Wonderful Life is about George Bailey, a building and loan association owner who finds himself contemplating suicide. In this scene, the slumlord villain, Mr. Potter, berates him for making a subprime loan. I happen to know the bank turned down this loan, but he comes here and we're building him a house worth $5,000. Why? Well, I handled that, Mr. Potter. You have all the papers there, his salary, insurance. I can personally vouch for his character. Bailey knows the guy who borrowed the money, and he trusts him to pay back the loan. Bailey's funded a whole town's worth of homes the same way. He's explaining. It's a building society. He knows every single person that's borrowed. 
and all the borrowers know him, and it's a very touching movie. That's Paul Perez, a managing director with Northern Trust. He says that in George Bailey's world, credit was a rather simple matter. Nowadays, a home mortgage like Ernie's isn't owned by a family loan shop down the road. Maybe half of it belongs to a town in Germany and the other half to a bank in Zimbabwe. But our current system is still based on trust. At least 50 percent, and some would argue 80 or 90 percent, of all transactions that go between banks are based on the trust of that other bank, that they can pay, that they can be there to honor their obligation. And that is what was deeply affected and we began to see become a crisis in about August of 2007. The mortgage crisis of the last few years happened when a large number of subprime loans in this new environment went bad. Banks did not know what the other banks had on their balance sheet and weren't about to lend them first longer-term money, and eventually uh, it went to they wouldn't lend the money overnight. One of the ways to describe it is a crisis of trust. The result is a society where credit is scarce. Back to the movie. It's a Wonderful Life deals with this issue when George Bailey's guardian angel shows him what the world would be like if he were never born. Hey, hey, where'd the building and loan move to? The Bailey building and loan was up there. They went out of business years ago. There's no building and loan, no source of credit, no trust. The town is run by the nasty slumlord, Mr. Potter. Everyone's his tenant because there's nowhere to get a loan. The downtown is a smattering of strip joints, pawn shops, and cranky townspeople. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Paul Perez says the subprime mortgage crisis should leave us with the same lesson, that morality and a healthy economy are mutually dependent. In chaos theory, they say that a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil can create a a hurricane on the south in Southeast Asia. Or a mortgage agent not putting their client first, or a borrower fudging their mortgage application. That had, as we've come to see, a multi-trillion dollar generational affecting uh, results. So uh, on a micro level, our, our moral behavior does indeed matter. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Rena Palta. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.